Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, editor Maduni Christian, joined again today by my friend and colleague, Edward Ned Russell, as we discuss Cape Air and the upcoming first quarter earnings of the U.S. Airlines. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the broadcast. Hey there, Ned. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today, Madu? I'm good. Now, Ned, I want to jump right into the story you just wrote today for Airline Weekly. This We're recording this on Tuesday, April 19th. And you wrote a story about an airline that doesn't get a whole lot of press always, although I know you're a big fan. Um, we Who's can, not? <laughs> we can talk about why Ned joyrides on um, Cape Air aircraft from time to time. For um, the record, I think you should be a fan of you because they have a spoke seagull. Ooh. Uh, but I, I don't like birds. Birds are gross. He only likes spokes critters, you guys. Only yeah, spokes critters. Only spokes critters. Although technically, I guess a seagull is a critter of some sort. Well, that's right? neither here nor there. No, it isn't. But so you can you st- can weigh in on whether a seagull is a critter or not at mu at skiff.com or er at skiff.com. But but anyway, let's talk about Cape Air. Um, so the, the, these are two things that are the two issues and companies that you've been following really closely, Ned, and that is Cape Air, which we have just discussed and um, and the pilot and the not looming but now here pilot shortage now the CEO of Cape Air you spoke to her yesterday and she had some um, interesting comments about the pilot shortage take it away Ned tell us what she had to say yeah she did so she you know Cape Air is sort of at the front and center on the pilot shortage they're at the the bottom of the rung when it comes to pilots uh, simply that's nine seater props. A lot of people come and they fly there for a few years and then move on to, to larger airlines, you know, and she time out, time out, time out, nine seat, nine seater propeller driven aircraft. For those of you who wonder what nine seater props are anyway, carry on. <laughs> Thank you for my due. Um, so she, she acknowledged that, that they've, you know, people come work for a few years, move on and everything. But the current pilot shortage has, has made you know things difficult for for Cape Air, and you know she really highlighted the fact that within the industry there's a lot happening to build up the pilot supply. There's multiple pathway programs, which is where a larger airline will promise someone a job if they go through a certain program. There's new training programs as we've seen at Alaska and United. But the thing is, is the, all, these all are sort of individual approaches to the mm-hmm. problem. United has their own approach. Alaska has their own approach. Delta has their own approach. And it's not a holistic solution to building up pilot supply. And and she really, she said, she told me she would, would wishes we could all sit down. And when she said all, she meant all the airlines, all the players, and sort of come up with a holistic solution to build up supply that would benefit the entire industry rather than just one carrier. And and she said that there's some, uh, you know, Rob Peter to pay Paul going on right now, i.e. airlines are stealing pilots from other airlines to build up their ranks. And, you know, that might benefit one person, but it doesn't benefit the industry. I guess we should stop here and also um, we, we keep referring to the CEO of uh, of Cape Air, and I realize we have not mentioned her by name, Ned. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, yeah, CEO Linda Markham. She has worked for Cape Air for a long time and took over as CEO in January, actually. So she is one of or the only uh, female CEO at a U.S. airline. Madu? That's right. Correct me. Yeah, yeah. That, that's so. correct. Um, so, so, so the, okay. So, but back to the holistic solution. I mean, what, what is her solution? She, you know, it's all very good to say we need to work together as an industry, but you've got a lot of different competing stakeholders. I mean, you've got the regional 
you've got smaller regionals like Cape Air, you've got the large regionals like SkyWest, you've got the mainline carriers, you've got the pilots union, you've got the various lobbying groups. So what what is her solution here? What is she proposing? She doesn't have a singular solution. She says the pathway programs, mentorships to to get people jobs are great. It's just she wishes that they could be a bit more coordinated in putting people through the pipeline. She also talked about uh, developing, uh, working with the FEA to get a program where there could be credits for training that could go towards the 1,500-hour rule. Mm -hmm. And for those that aren't familiar, in the U.S., uh, commercial airline pilots are required to have 1,500 hours. It's probably the highest requirement, one of the highest requirements in the world. And some airline CEOs, Jonathan Ornstein at Mesa Airlines, for example, has repeatedly called for it to be repealed, though uh, Markham at Cape Air, she says she's not calling for repeal, but looking at ways to sort of ease the burden, especially when it's such a, there's such high costs to becoming a pilot in the U.S. And I spoke to RIA CEO Faye Markey Black. That's the Regional said, you know, Airline Association. <laughs> thank you, Madhu. And she told me that, you know, they are working, you know, they work with Cape Air and other airlines on lobbying Congress to, to implement some programs that they can help ease the costs, particularly expanding student loans to the cost of becoming a pilot. So federal, federally subsidized student loans, which could right. help a lot of people and expand access. Now, do so you have any have, idea, hmm. I'm sorry, do you have any idea what a starting um, first officer, or I guess they don't have first officers really at Cape Air because they only have one pilot. Well, they um, do have a, a program with Republic where people come over as, as first officers and fly on Cape Air. And she said that that's a very successful program. They're finding a lot of people, but speaking to uh, the the sort of the individualistic uh, motives of different airlines, a lot of people come over, fly the first officer, and then leave as soon as they get their hours, which right. hurts Cape Air because they've had to block a seat for those people to get hours, and that's lost revenue. So right. anyway. Um, so, so do you have any idea what a first officer or pilot makes at Cape Air when, when he or she starts? I don't off the top of my head, though I'm sure it's it's below fifty thousand a year would be my guess. Mm-hmm. There is a, a letter of agreement out pending with the pilots' union, which they're represented by an arm of the Teamsters. Uh, though I have not heard about the status of that. Uh, Markham said that the agreement includes wage increases, but uh, she didn't specify exactly how much, and the union did not get back to me when I asked. Right. Now, speaking of union, unions, one thing you you noted in your story uh, is that ALPA, the Airline Pilots Association, which is the largest pilots union in the country, um, has uh, has sort of a different agenda from from the airlines in the solution to to the pilot shortage. What, what is That's that? right. So Alpa has denied that there's a pilot shortage, and there's been a bit of war of words between Alpa and RAA uh, over this. Um, Alpa has claimed that RAA wants the 1,500-hour rule repealed, uh, which RAA did not de- denies. Uh, Faye, Faye Malarkey Black says that her words have been misconstrued. You know, but on a broader sense, you know, Alpa has. They wrote a letter following SkyWest's announcement a few months ago that they want to end service to 29 cities due to pilots, and they objected to that because uh, they said there is no pilot shortage, and and really this is a, a sort of false flag, and, and the airlines are making this up. So hmm. it is interesting, though I should say that Alpa's vested interest is in their members, and most of their members are at major airlines like United American and Delta, and so preserving those jobs uh, is good for them. So... It's it's I, I don't want to say Alpa's 
Uh, motives are sort of untrue, but their motives serve their membership is what I would say. Right. So Alpa says there's no pilot shortage. REA and the regionals say there is indeed a pilot shortage. The The mainline carriers sort of say there's a pilot shortage, but then also happily poach uh, take right. pilots that now, would have been going to regionals first. And other airlines. Yeah. I have heard from several sources that some of the majors are poaching pilots from, from LCCs. And that's one of the reasons why you're seeing operational issues at JetBlue, Alaska, and Spirit. Uh, though that is, I'm no one's actually saying, telling me on the record they're poaching, but Markham at, C, at Cape, Air uh, hinted to that, you know, Peter to pay Paul. And so that is actively going on, it seems. Which is also really interesting because for decades, there was not, not much mobility between airlines. Um, there was, you know, of course, as we've said, like, a pipeline of, uh, for pilots to progress through regionals to the mainline. But there wasn't really much poaching among mainline carriers because of seniority, right? Like if you, right. if you, if you switch jobs, if you go from say United to Delta, you're going to get stapled at the bottom of the seniority list and get the, the worst bids and the, um, you know, the least amount of hours or fly undesirable or comfortable routes or whatever. Uh, so, there was a, ma a real incentive for pilots to stay at a mainline carrier for the rest of their careers until they retired. And what I and no, I don't have uh, I don't I don't know this specifically, but my guess is that the poaching is going on amongst the those lower on the seniority list. Yeah, we're not talking about you know triple seven or a three fifty pilots with twenty or thirty years here. We're we're talking about people that are probably uh, newer to to a large carrier. And also, I've heard that it, a lot of it's happening from uh, the smaller major carriers, i.e. Alaska, JetBlue, yeah. Spirit, going to American United Delta. Right, but even, but that that was like another that. thing that never used to happen because they were they're all unionized workforces, and it never used to be that even you know you wouldn't go f from a smaller carrier to a larger carrier because you'd lose your seniority. Now, what is interesting though is that the mobility at the top end is gone now. Now, if you remember, just ten years as you know, ten years ago to maybe four or five years ago, that that 777 or A350 pilot had the opportunity to go to one of the Gulf carriers and make a lot of money for a few years and then retire, right? And that that pathway has been closed off. So you have a lot of pilots that are sort of sitting at the top of the seniority list right now that norm, they, in earlier times would have gone to make a few bucks at um, at Etihad, for example. Right, but also the seniority lists were pruned during the yes. pandemic. A lot of pilots on the top end took early retirement, which is what's caused this whole crisis, uh, right. the shortage, you know, to begin with, because the airlines have, as demand has, you know, come back faster than anyone expected. They've rushed to try to hire up new pilots. So, right. you know, they're, they're, the high end of their seniority lists have thinned out a bit. I, I don't know exactly how much, but they have thinned out. No, that's absolutely true. All right, Ned, let's, uh, let's squeeze in a quick break here. And we're back. So now we move from Cape Air to some of the largest carriers in the country, and that is uh, United, Delta, and Alaska will report their earnings on... United, American, and Alaska. Isn't that what I said? You said Delta. Oh, damn. I'm sorry. United, <laughs> American, and Alaska will report their, their first quarter earnings on um, Thursday, the 21st. That's and right, which is just two days from now, though uh, listeners will already know what has happened by the time you listen to this. But So 
we are bracing for the the incoming uh yeah the the incoming uh, busyness that is airline earnings and the tide of red ink that we'll see <laughs> tide of red ink but my question is really how optimistic are airlines going to look for the summer yeah that seems to be where where the uh you know people are looking well delta was a bellwether there's a critter for you a bellwether <laughs> that is a critter you know ned <laughs> This is the bellwether issue, you guys, from now on. <laughs> Bellwether's a goat. <laughs> this is the front of the herd. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Ed Bastion, I didn't mean to compare your, your very successful airline to a goat wearing a bell. But um, anyway, uh, <laughs> Delta is the bellwether. And, and Delta, as we saw last week, is very optimistic about this summer and expects demand to, to exceed supply. And that part of the reason of that is that Delta's supply, in, in other words, its capacity will be about 84% or something of what it was in 2019. So with possibly higher than 2019 demand. So, right. and I should it, say that demand for spring break, which is gone going in the U.S. right now, is at roughly ninety percent of twenty nineteen yeah. levels. So that's above where Delta's flying. So already demand outpaces supply. Right, and that's that uh, shows no sign of abating for the summer. And as we've reported, you know, American, um, JetBlue, and United have all announced capacity cuts. Um, partially Alaska too. And Alaska, did I? Shit! Oops, sorry. Um, <laughs> I meant like yes. I can't get the three that are reporting on Thursday right. It's American, United, and Alaska, not JetBlue, not Delta. So anyway, American, Alaska, and United have all announced capacity cuts for the summer. But we will see what they expect with with um, demand, and if Delta is any indication, demand is going to be really strong. So. Absolutely. And anecdotally, I've uh, been looking at summer trips and, you know, I, this is the, uh, the, what I like to say is a flight to Phoenix in May, avoiding holidays is the same price as going to London in July. That's right nuts. Now. Yeah. That, that is, is nuts. That absolutely. Is absolutely nuts. Um, so, <clears throat> so we will, you know, the first quarter is likely to be a tide of red ink like it was for Delta. And that's partially because of Omicron. You know, it's easy to forget now in the middle of April that uh, Omicron really, really did affect not just the airlines, but the entire economy in January. And that was the first quarter. Um, and um, and also seasonally, the first quarter is always, is always usually bad for airlines because people are settling in back to work after the holidays. So. So it was a bad quarter made worse by Omicron. And the second quarter, which includes the first month of summer, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. First month of summer, June. Yep. Yes. Right. Since I've gotten so many other things wrong today, I was expecting to get that wrong too. Um, but includes the first month of summer should be much better. Now, you know, um, what I'm, I'm hearing as well, Ned, and I'm sure you have also, is that uh, – Fuel prices are high, but airlines don't really see that as a problem right now because they can, they're, they're, as you mentioned, fares are rising. People are willing to pay those fares because they want to travel. Some part of that fare is due to supply and some part of it is uh, due to higher fuel costs. Absolutely. And, you know, f frankly, fuel has stabilized a bit around the $100 a barrel uh, yeah. spot. You know, Delta CEO Ed Bastian did say at a Washington Post event on Monday that he expects fuel term or oil to remain volatile for about the next 12 months. But yeah. 
It, it doesn't, I mean, based on current, you know, I'm, I'm not a fuel market expert, but it, it looks like, I mean, stability, even if it is $100 stability, is good for airlines because they're able to plan for that. So they're, well, they're yeah. Some of that stability is, um, some of the fall in fuel prices is due to the lockdown of Shanghai and other large cities in China. And when that demand comes back, then fuel prices, I mean, there are a lot of factories that are idled in China right now. There are a lot of, you know, people who aren't driving, etc. Um, so when that demand comes back, we can expect fuel prices to rise again. But that didn't seem to bother many of the airline CEOs who think, you know, even if it goes up a little bit, they can pass it on. Or can- I remember in the U.S. industry, they really, a lot of costs were shed and, and businesses were restructured in 2013, 2014, when we saw the last spike in, in oil prices. And frankly, after everything, uh, most executives are pretty confident that they can, you know, they've already rebuilt their businesses with the idea of surviving $100 barrel oil. So right. it's uh, that just isn't the shock that it once was. No, absolutely. And it's not exactly. It's not the shock that it was in 2008. And it's not the shock that it was in 2014-ish. Um, of course, <clears throat> it's not uh, It's not the benefit that $30 a barrel oil is, or even, I don't know if you remember, Ned, in 1998 when oil was $10 a barrel. Um, I remember going to the gas station in California in the late 90s and my mom getting gas that was under a dollar a gallon. Right. That's what I remember. Yeah. There was a very famous cover of The Economist in the 90s that had a gusher on the front and said something like, drowning in oil, um, <laughs> which we were. So, so yeah, the summer should be a pretty good one for the for the U.S. airline industry. They've, they've kind Asterisk, of had- Asterisk, barring any new- yes. COVID surge or uh, other geopolitical upset. No, that's true. That is true. We always, in this, the last two years, we always have to caveat that there could be a new variant. No one really saw Omicron coming. Um, Or Delta last year. Or Delta, that's true. Not the airline, the variant. The variant. And um, also, no one, for some reason, no one saw the largest land war in Europe coming, even though... Russia had massed 200,000 troops on the border of Ukraine for two months. So for some reason, no one saw that coming. Um, uh, but uh, but yeah, so they're, they're, this should be a good summer. And part of that, you know, Ned, what struck me as interesting is just the capacity discipline that the pilot shortage is kind of forced on airlines, right? I mean, this is not right. something they chose to do, but they're going to benefit from it financially. Right, yeah. I mean, frankly, though I, I did get, there wasn't, report out by Connor Cunningham, MKM Partners, and he said he does expect the capacity situation to ease as airlines reach you know, normal staffing levels. Mm-hmm. And I did speak to him a bit more about it. You know, it's it's not he's he's not forecasting that for this summer, but right. uh, it you know, definitely later this year and into 2023, which fits with what all the airline executives are telling us that they see the situation sort of normalizing in the new year. And it's, it's kind of uh, striking to be saying that when we're sitting here in April. Yeah. And, and also you, you, you raised an interesting and very important point, And that is that it's staffing. We, we always talk in shorthand as a pilot shortage, but it is staffing call center reservations, gate agents, maintenance technicians, baggage handlers, all of those work groups are constrained right now because it's hard to find uh, employees, especially entry-level employees, uh, in such a tight labor market. Absolutely. You know, JetBlue has been very clear about uh, that they have a broad staffing shortage. While pilots are part of that, it's it's across the, 
it's across the board. And, you know, uh, Cape Air CEO Linda Markham uh, told me that, it, you know, pilots are their biggest issue, but maintenance, techni- maintenance technicians are also a, a large concern. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's really across the board. Oh, and in the journal today, I love this. This is the first, this is the latest uh, wrinkle in the summer capacity uh, situation airlines are facing. Increased space launches from Kennedy Space Center in mm-hmm. Florida are forcing some airlines to cut flights into Orlando to avoid uh, more delays. So I, I love that space activity is is help is hindering the capacity recovery too, which is not surprising. I covered a couple of shuttle launches back in um, two thousand eight and two thousand nine. Um, and uh, they they do disrupt the airspace. I mean, you can't be flying a seven three seven in the path of a of several tons of explosive. That <laughs> explosive would not end well for anybody. Liquid <laughs> oxygen. So, um, so no. Uh, but uh, yeah, and maintenance technicians. I mean, I think this is something we should be watching as an as not just an industry, but like those of us who observe the industry. And maintenance technicians get overlooked in the larger staffing question, and that is. You know, those skills are incredibly transferable, and these are skilled, skilled employees, right? And they're, you know, I, I know in the Bay Area, a lot of qualified MX technicians who get, you know, who are trained at local schools go work for Tesla because yep. they get paid more. And that's exactly what uh, what regional airline leaders were saying at the RA annual conference in, in Washington last fall was that you know. Maintenance technicians are very, you know, it's it's a tough situation. Uh, you know, they go in, they can go to schools, but these same guys can, or got these same people, not gender specific, can just walk out the door and get a job at a car company or something. It's a very transferable skill, and it's hard for the airline industry to compete. I remember Southwest Air, SkyWest Airlines CEO Chip Childs said they put a maintenance space. They are now locating maintenance spaces where there's uh, trained staff. Not where right. they want to necessarily have one. If there's a source of staff, they will put a maintenance space there just because that situation is what it is. Yeah. I mean, that really bears watching, especially in such a tight labor market. And as as manufacturing activity ramps up across the economy, um, it, it's it's going to be tough for airlines to hold on to train maintenance personnel um, at the pay scales they're offering. Right. Right. Absolutely. So that is worth watching. So yeah, I mean, so it should be a hot summer for airlines and a hot uh, vac summer that we were hoping for last year, Madrid. Yes, the hot vac summer. Let's hope it comes through this time and that we don't move on to the row variant, um, <laughs> which is which would be the next variant. <laughs> so um, uh, let we're going to keep our ears to the ground on the twenty first and and report back to you all next week with uh, what we learned in, on uh, the latest round of first round quarter earnings. So let's wrap it up here, Ned. Thanks for joining us. Always, Madhu. And uh, to our listeners, thank you for joining us. We were a little all over the place today. There are a lot of distractions in the background, cats fighting and all sorts of various other things. So we apologize for that. And uh, we hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge Podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. And of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week. <laughs>